0: You can also find us on the web at VineyardBrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at VineyardBrenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, while our ushers are are taking up the offering, I'm going to take a few minutes to, to introduce our guest speaker this morning. It, did anybody not get to meet Mark and Shelley this morning? Because I think they... They kind of made themselves known large and in charge. But several months ago, Vern and I were cleaning out the the workroom back here. And we're going through files, we're going through boxes, we're going through all kinds of stuff that had been just tucked away back here in this room. And I found in a folder this, it was an old ad from a service that was being advertised in the newspaper when Mark and Shelly came. Well, it was actually Mark who came, and we've been trying. Did, did, did you guys, did, did you came together? Okay, okay. All right, because that, that, somehow um, we were involved with you coming whenever you came by yourself and you had had a young intern that came with you. Is there anybody who remembers when Mark and Shelley were here last time. I mean, it's, it's a few. Well, we were trying to do the math, and, it, and we're, we're thinking it's somewhere around 2003, somewhere in that neighborhood. Does it sound about right? But there wasn't anything on the, on the ad to let us know, so, uh, so we've been trying to figure that out. But Danelle and I met Mark shortly after our church it had been planted in, in, in Conroe, and Mark comes in, and, and uh, we, we didn't know him, and, and uh, we, we had a, a Saturday with him. And, and uh, I'll, I'll let him, I, I think he'll be able to tell you that there's, there's some immoral, memorable things that happen whenever the Holy Spirit comes and, and moves. And, and I was just telling him this weekend that I can, I can still remember, I, I almost remember the clothes that he was wearing. It was just such a vivid memory for me of what took place that day. And so I, I'm really excited to have him here. Now, before, for, before he comes, I've asked the ushers to take up a, a second offering. And this is, this is for Mark and Shelley. It's just a, a, a love offering for them for, for coming. Um, when, when I found this, this photo, we're friends on Facebook, and so I, I took, a, took a picture of it. And uh, I, don't know, I, 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 I didn't put it up here, so, you, so you're okay. Yeah. But I, I, I sent it to Mark and Shelley. Go ahead, guys. You can you can start passing the the offering, and uh, I, I just sent him the picture and like, look what I found, and I and I just thought, oh, that, that's neat, and, and and his response was, well, let's do it again, and at at, at that point, I, I it I, it almost terrified me. It was like, um, how, how are you going to get here? Well, it, it just so happened. That, that he and Shelley are going to be in Conroe next Sunday and uh, I'm not I, I've been trying to find out what's going on next weekend so we could we could get folks to go if, if we can. So so if there's something going on on Saturday if you if you find out before I do, would you let me know? Oh <laughs> okay, awesome. So uh, so'm I, I'm, I, I'm really excited to have Mark and Shelley here with us. We've we've had a had a great time with them. They, we picked them up on Friday, and, and we spent the day together yesterday. And tonight we're going to have a special service, just a, a little bit of worship, and just some extended ministry time. So if you if you'd like to come back and receive ministry, uh, I'm, I'm I'm expecting God to heal. I'm expecting God to give us words, and uh, and I I hope you'll you'll come back tonight. It's tonight at six o'clock, we're not going to going to keep you out all night, but uh, we want to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our, in our, our church. So um, I think I've said just about everything I can say, so without any further ado, Mark, would you come and share? And
1: there, it's, just, it's, it's on, good. Uh, I was hoping there was no one here from when we were here last so I promise this time to be on my best behavior. I said, um, I was thinking about the Christmas announcement of uh, us all representing the places we came from. And uh, Shelly and I are Canadians. So I thought our costume would be a lumberjack shirt and some big heavy boots. And I turned to Shelly and said, but what's the special meal that we will bring as Canadians? And she said, beer. I think... Canada has one of the highest per capita consumptions of beer in the world. But I had an experience here yesterday that radically altered my life. It had to do with beer. <laughs> I told Joel, I, eat, I, I said I'm in love with barbecue. It's a weakness. You guys have phenomenal barbecue. See, in California, we're, living in, we're Canadians, but we're living in California. Out there, their idea of barbecue is the sauce you put on it okay, that's ungodly. It's wrong. It's people. It's the smoke. It's all about the smoke. So I said, take me someplace with really good barbecue. And he said, we're going to go to? LJ's. LJ's." And we get there, and and I walked in, and right away, the smell. Okay, this is going to be phenomenal. And then we're standing in line to, to pay, and the guy says, and there's free beer I said no there is not free beer he says there's free beer I said no there isn't he said yes there is no there isn't because it's inconceivable that you could go anywhere and there's free beer like for a Canadian that's like going to heaven early and it turned out there was really there was free beer I didn't have any I hardly touched a drop but it was free so you know And then we're partway through the meal, and these kind of stylish, trendy two couples come in. And I think, wow, who are these people? And they just got these huge plates full of meat. It was just, it was wonderful. And I said, man, that's awesome. That's great. And they said, yeah, we've never been here before. I said, where are you from? They said, Northern California. (laughs) They said, Carmel. I said, well, we're from San Diego. They said, that's great. I said, and the beer's free. And the guy looks at me, he goes, no it isn't. I'm not, I'm not making that, he goes, no it isn't. I said, yes it is, it's free. He goes, it's impossible. Nothing's free, beer's never free. I said, it's free, it's free. He says, no it isn't. I said, go over to that container, pull out a beer, it's free. So he goes over there and he pulls, nobody slapped his hand. Nobody tried to take money from him. He goes, the beer's free. I said, yeah, it's free. He goes to his friend, he goes, the beer here is free. His friend goes, no it isn't. He goes, yes, it is. No, it isn't. I said, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And they went and ran and got some beer. It was a precious moment for a Canadian. Gosh, I've already confessed that I like beer in front of everybody. What's wrong with me? That's a Canadian thing. Okay. So uh, I was thinking about the message this morning, and I settled on a message that I thought would be good, the more I thought about it, the more I think the end of the message is really good, I don't know if the beginning of the message is really good, but I'm gonna do it, and you guys are gonna be the judge. <sighs> How you doing? Have a beer. <laughs> Have a beer. Where's my, oh, here it is. Okay, can we get the first slide up? That's a skydiving cat. Right there. It's a skydiving cat. You don't see those often. I call this message, Taking Kingdom Risks. Are you all ready to become skydiving cats? (laughs) All right. Look, Before we get into the substance of the message, I want to let you know what assumptions I'm making about your church and about you as people. And this is based on (laughs) 15 years of not being here. Or 18 years. But I made some assumptions about you based on the fact that I know Joel and Donnell and, and um, uh, we grew up in the vineyard together. So here's the assumptions I'm making about where you're coming from. Number one, that you want to see more of your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven through your life and your church. We sang that song a, a few minutes ago, Mothers and Fathers. Uh, the God of our mothers and fathers come and do now what you did then, guys? That's man, that's the message. I was so happy when I saw those lyrics. You see, we get we get stale. I get stale. I need I need to be reminded of who I really am in the Lord. I I need more than anything to be reminded of who He is and who He wants to be in in my life. And. Sometimes, you know, I remember the early days. I remember what it was like to be in the tangible presence of God when he's moving in power. And see, these are precious memories. These are things we cling to and we remember our whole life long. But then I'm faced with the question, what's happening now? And I have to confess, it's not the same as what was happening then. And am I okay with that? Am I just going to comfortably sit down and behave let things just be what about that yearning what about that hunger what what about more of your kingdom come right now right now not as just memories but new experiences I think deep within us when you've experienced God and his presence and his wonder and his beauty you still want more But something in us just kind of settles, quietly settles. But I believe that in your heart, you want to see more of his power, his presence. Number two, I believe that you believe in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Not the fake stuff. Not the posturing and the posing and the pretending and the acting out a wish. But the real thing, you want the real thing. You don't want the crazy soulish stuff, but you want the real thing. You want to know it was him. You don't want to be in one of those services. I can't stand it when people come forward for prayer and the guy sticks his hand on their head and then he starts to push them and then he calls for the Holy Spirit and then he kind of goes like this and they hit the ground. I always thought to myself, if I'm the person that hit the ground, how do I know it was God if somebody pushed me over? Don't we want more than anything the authentic work of God where where, where, the only explanation we have for it is God did it? Man, that's the thing I remember about John Wimber. I think that I liked the most. He was laid back, and he wasn't pushy, and there wasn't hype, and there wasn't some cheesy music playing in the background while he did his thing, and then it kind of amped up a little bit, and it got you a little more emotionally moved, and, and then about the right time, bang, you get pushed over, and you walk away saying, gosh, what was that? I want something where the only explanation I can have is that God touched me. He did something I can't explain otherwise. So I can believe that. I can have faith in something like that. I won't get talked out of something like that. We had a kid in our church a number of years ago and his marriage was going bad and his job was going bad. And he decided to kill himself. So he got himself a big bottle of whiskey and it took his 38 out in the parking lot of his condo, and he drank the whole bottle down and getting up the courage to kill himself. One of the maintenance guys walked by and and saw him, and saw him there for a long time and thought, something's going on. So he walked over to him, and he saw the gun in his lap, and he saw the bottle of whiskey. He called the police, and thank God the police came, and they took him to the psych ward, and he was in the psych ward, and he dried out, and he was facing his issues, you know? Why am I so depressed? Why do I want to kill myself? And he was questioning his faith. Is it really real? Do I have grounds for my belief? And he was a very bright guy. He was very, very bright. He went through intellectually the foundations of his faith, the historicity of Jesus, the early records, all these things. And he came to the conclusion that he wasn't sure. Through all that proof, the evidence, the history, he still ended up thinking, I I don't know if it's really real. I don't know if it's really real. And then he thought, why do I believe? What's my proof that God's really real? This is the craziest thing. Here was his proof. The one thing he could remember in his life with God that he could not explain any other way was the night he first spoke in tongues. Spoke in tongues. The most embarrassing aspect of our faith. Well, the most embarrassing aspect of our faith, the thing that we most like to dismiss from the Bible. Because it's inexplicable. It does not make sense but he knew it was the realest thing in his life, and he could not explain it away. And he came back to faith on account of that spiritual experience. Now, that's not the way we're supposed to do it. I you know, grew up a good evangelical. I get how we're supposed to do it. It's all about the historicity. It's all about the probabilities. It's all about the, the testimony. From the Bible. And I get that and I value it, but sometimes people, we need a touch from God to remember that He's real. So deep in our hearts, we doubt it sometimes, but we really want to believe in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. But we've settled, we've calmed down. Number three, You believe, I think you believe, the Bible sort of tells us that these supernatural gifts they operate through faith. I'm thinking of that passage in Romans we've got different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. I take some comfort from this verse because. I've been grappling lately. Some really important people in my life are coping with terminal cancer right now, several. And I have tried so hard to manufacture miracle-working healing faith in me so I can pray well. And I can't do it. I've failed. And I said to the Lord, you know, what is wrong with me? I mean... I've seen you, I've seen him heal blind people, children, with my own eyes. And I can't manufacture the faith for healing from cancer. What's wrong with me? You reminded me. You minister in proportion to the faith I've given you. And we all want to maximize that faith that God has given us but we can't manufacture something. It's a gift from God. Does this make sense? It does to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But what I want to do, and what I hope we want to do, is minister to the full proportion of the faith that he's given us. It's hard to believe for more than what he's given us, but why should we believe for less? Get what I'm saying? We want that sweet spot where we're acting in accordance with the things we can believe for. That he's given us faith for. But a lot of times, we settle for less. This makes perfect sense. We don't do what we don't believe we should do. We don't do what we believe we're not supposed to do. We want to act in accordance with what's right and what's true. You don't believe. You don't do what you don't believe you can do. I think we believe we're all supposed to practice these gifts. We all believe that we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Do we all believe that we have the Holy Spirit living within us? Do you believe that? Okay, if the Holy Spirit's living within us, how many of the spiritual gifts are living within us? All of them. Because they're not my gifts, they're not your gifts, they're His gifts. But if He's living in the house, then the house contains the gifts. So they're all there. Which means, according to His unction and his, His desires, they're all expressible. At any, isn't, isn't it the most exciting thing to realize? At any given moment, you could raise a dead person. Because that gift, is, the power is within you. you. could heal the sick. Give a prophetic word. You could perform a miracle. And we, we, we believe that. But we've Settled. Here's what frustrates me. Brings us to a question. In view of our assumptions, why aren't we doing more of this stuff? Why aren't we seeing more of this stuff? Why do we settle so easily? (laughs) And I put it this way. We're like people who've fallen in love with skydiving. You see a great YouTube video of skydivers, and you fall in love with skydiving. Oh, I want to do that. That looks so exciting. I admire the people that have the courage to do that. So we start reading books about skydiving. There's all these books written about skydiving from great skydivers. Some of them got photographs taken as they're falling through the air. We comment in the margins. We put asterisks in. We dog ear the pages of our favorite skydiving stories. We subscribe to skydiving magazine. And it comes monthly. And it has testimonies of people that, get this, actually jumped out of a plane. How to. How to pull the ripcord. How to pray as hard as, and as fast as you've ever prayed in your life. We watch all the skydiving videos. We even join a skydiving club that meets weekly. Some of you are picking up on the analogy. We attend all the special events where real skydivers come and talk about their skydiving experiences. And we have faith that our chute will open when we pull the cord. But we have never jumped out of a plane. What is the missing ingredient to experience the thrill of skydiving? What is the missing ingredient to experience the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit? You see, I'm driving at this. There's something more than merely having faith. Believing that it'll work is not the same thing as doing it. There's a, missing, there's a missing factor here that will get us from what we believe to what we're experiencing. And it's taking kingdom risks. I so appreciated it. John Wimber used to say, spell faith R-I-S-K. And that, you guys, you had no idea the burden that that lifted off of me, because I realized I don't have to believe that everything is going to happen when I pray. It's not on me. I don't have to take the responsibility to generate enough faith to see something happen. I just need to go and try it. I just need to go and risk. And it's okay. And if nothing happens, so what? I tried. Are you getting what I'm saying? The first night, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. My friend had become a Christian five years earlier, and uh, he, he was um, a drug addict. He's from a very wealthy home, and he was a successful businessman. He went to work every day, and before he got to work, he smoked a joint. And then at about noon, he came outside and smoked another joint, and then on the way home from work, he smoked another joint. And before he went to bed, he smoked another joint. He was pretty much high all the time. Functioning, right? Successfully. And I introduced him to the girl that he married, and they both became Christians together. And now they're Christians, and he's a drug addict. He quit, he quit doing cocaine. He quit doing all these other nasty drugs. He couldn't quit smoking pot. And we become Christians together, and we were evangelical Christians together, so I didn't believe any of this stuff. I thought it was all fake TV stuff, you know. Three piece white suits and a Rolex watch and an offering every 15 minutes. I figured that's what these guys all were. So I had no belief in any power of God, but my mentor, who'd gone to seminary, who'd gone to Fuller College, and he was John Wimber's t- um, teaching assistant. And he started calling me and telling me these stories of what was happening in the classroom. And I'm thinking, this is impossible. This is history. That's all it is. It's, the book of, it's like the book of Acts. It's history. It's not for today. But he's telling me these stories that he's experienced. And I'm thinking, could this, could this really be possible? And then he said, we're bringing a team up to your city, and we're going to do this healing conference. And I thought, okay, i got to see this. So I drag my drug addict friend, who by this point has been a Christian for several years, and he's, he wants more than anything to be free, he's ashamed of his drug habit, his wife is worried about it, they're having children, she doesn't want to have this in the house, she doesn't want kids raised by a drug addict f- husband. And we have prayed, guys, we have prayed every evangelical prayer we know, okay? He confessed it in front of us. He did all this stuff right. You know, we put him through everything we could think of to get him clean. And none of it worked. None of it. And I'm getting desperate. <coughs> but now I got this crazy friend that's talking about healing and deliverance. So he's coming to do this conference. So he comes, and I don't know, I'm, I like... He's my mentor. I really respect him. So I drag all our Bible study, all our friends to this conference to find out what's really going on. And there's my drug addict friend standing at the back of the room. And it's a big church with a whole lot of people in it. And uh, my friend says, I've got to get free. You've got to get Ken to pray for me. Make him pray for me. So I went front. I said, hey, Ken, you've got to pray for this friend of mine. It's a real problem. He, and he's, he's real sort of comes across arrogant. I don't think he really is, but he comes across kind of arrogant. Oh, yeah, he says, few minutes, it'll be done. He didn't even know what we were praying for, and he's saying it'll be done, right? <laughs> so he comes to the back, and I say, okay, Ken, this is Conrad. Conrad, this is Ken. Um, Conrad says, I'm addicted and I can't stop and I don't know what to do. And Ken says, okay, we'll pray for you. And he starts praying. I got the time I'll tell the story. Ken's standing here. Conrad's standing there. I'm standing in the middle. All our Bible study, okay? All the good evangelical Bible study is standing watching this. So I put one hand on Ken's shoulder and I put one hand on... Conrad shoulder, and uh, I'm just, I got to quiet down now, I got to pray, I'm going I'm to be interceding now for this, so I kind of st- quiet my spirit, I got my eyes closed, and Ken starts to pray, and I've never experienced any Holy <coughs> Spirit at all, okay, <coughs> nothing, not a bupkus doink, squat, it's Canadian, <laughs> and as Ken starts to pray, this electricity, this shot goes through my arm, through my chest, and over to my friend and I jerk like this and it's like what was that and then it happens again and I'm going what, what, what was, what's this and then it starts again and then it starts again and pretty soon my eyes are closed and I'm like being electrocuted by Jesus <laughs> and this thought came through my head it's funny how you could have like two or three paragraphs of thought in one second well the paragraphs were this I think this is God this is crazy but I think this is God. Yeah, it's probably God. Then I thought, if this goes on, my friends, right, because we really care about our image, really more than we care about anything else, my friends will think I'm mentally ill, and they will take me away in a straitjacket, and my credit, I'm a lawyer at this point, okay, and my credibility will be gone, gone. And then I think even worse, This is really God. My friends are going to think I'm really spiritual. And now I have to cope with pride. So I lose no matter what. (laughs) So I'm thinking, i got to stop this. i got to stop this. And I'm about ready to say, no more, God. Just stop it. You know, like, I command God, no more. Just stop it. And the thought, then the third paragraph goes, wait a minute. What if this is part of his freedom? What if this is part of him getting free? And you need to do this for him to get free. What about that? And I realize I'm trapped, because this is probably part of what God's doing. So I did the math. Look good, my friend remains a drug addict. Look bad, my friend gets free. And I said, "Okay, God, just do whatever you want. And it just amps up. I mean, I'm getting electrocuted. It's like this. I can't even speak. I uh, know I'm not. It's not funny. It scared the heck out of me. <laughs> and I'm I'm just like this, and my eyes are closed, and I'm clenching my jaw. And my friend said, "I thought you were going to die. Your face was red. The the neck mus- muscles and the blood vessels are all standing up." He said, "I thought you were going to die." And the strangest thing, it's never happened before. I lose. I lose my identity. I mean this is the weirdest thing. I'm now experiencing what's going on in my friend's heart. I'm so I don't know what it would be. I'm not aware of who I am anymore. I'm just aware of this thing going on inside of him and there's these two hands in his chest like this. One's good and one's bad and they're going like this and the good one's trying to pull the bad one out. I realize this must be a demon. You know? And it's like this, and it's pulling and pulling. And my friend, who's an intellectual, is praying these kind of intellectual deliverance prayers, but they're not getting to the point. And I, I want to yell, just tell it to go. But I can't come out of this thing because I've lost track of me, and I'm inside <laughs> this guy. And I'm trying to, D- come on, just make it go, make it go. And he's it, it's like, it's like, it's circling this bush getting closer to the issue, to the the thing that is there. But he's not really addressing it, and I'm trying to get him to do it. And finally, he says, the lamest exorcistic prayer I have ever heard in my life. This is the most point, gutless, he says, in this tone of voice, because he's an intellectual, whatever is not of God, I command you leave him now. And this thing rips, the good hand just ripped this thing right out of his chest. And immediately when that, I felt that, my eyes popped open. And I was me again. And I turned and looked at my friend. And he'd gone bolt upright like this. And he turns his head. And he looks. And he's this grin from ear to ear. And he said, it's gone. And I said, I know. I felt it go. We were in an altered state. He turned to me and he said, "This is just like LSD only." This is what he quote, "This is just like LSD, only it's good." I looked at him and I said, "Yeah." And we're like, "Wow." And then Ken grabs us and he says, "You two, come with me. Where are we going?" He drags us down to the front. He says, "You're full of the Holy Spirit right now." You need to pray for people. So we start praying for people. Mental stuff, I'm seeing things on these people. And words and numbers are popping up in the air. And I'm going, what the heck is this? I got no clue about any of this. But it's the most powerful, real experience I have ever had. Now here's my point. I'm so excited I can't contain myself. This is so thrilling. This is so cool. I'm, I'm beside myself. But my friend, my mentor, we call him God's Clint Eastwood. God's Clint Eastwood. That man with no name, you know, that did the make my day. I know what you're thinking, punk. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, do you feel lucky, punk? Well, do you? That cool. That's Clint. I mean, that's cool, right? He's like that. So I'm just so full of enthusiasm, I can't contain it. But he's staying at my house. So we're driving back from the meeting. And I'm just like shaking with enthusiasm. And I got a burning question. But I can't show him how enthusiastic I am, because that's not Clint Eastwood hip. That's not hip at all. So I said, Ken, yeah. I said, you know, that was a unique experience. He goes, yeah. I go, I've never experienced anything like that in my whole life. He goes, yeah, I know. No, you don't. I said, "Uh, um, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, How can I um, see to it that this kind of thing keeps happening for the rest of my life? (laughs) Like, give me the answer. Give me the answer. I need to know how to do this forever. He goes, I don't know. Oh, no, you're the expert. Come on, help me out. He says, I don't know, but I know this. And this is my point. He said, if you want this to continue, he said, put yourself in situations where you're asking God to do something only God can do. And if if he does it, it's him. And if not, you look like a fool. Put yourself in those sorts of situations. And you know what I thought? I can do that. I can do that. I can take those kind of risks because I don't care what I look like. I just want to do it. I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I found out then, risk is one of the biggest parts of faith. And you know, lots of times we go to pray for people, really sick people, and it just breaks your heart. And you think, I don't have faith for this. So what? Spell it R-I-S-K. Just go do it. Just take a shot. Just take a chance. Man, I've I've seen a bunch of healings. I've only one or two of them, I had the faith that it was going to happen. The rest were like, you know, my job's to pray. His job's to heal. I'm going to go pray. Whatever happens, happens. But I'm going to obey. You see, we can borrow from obedience. We can borrow from obedience the power to go and do something. And if we'll go and do it, the result is not up to us. The result's up to him. We take the risk, he moves. Or he doesn't. It's okay. I did what I could do. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus said this about experiencing the kingdom of God. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it violently. The violent take it by force. What's he telling us? Participating in the kingdom of God takes force, it's violently opposed. The enemy will do anything he can do to talk you out of participating in the power of the kingdom of God. And here's some of the ways that he does it. Satan is opposed to us using our spiritual gifts, especially the supernatural ones. They're a threat to his power, so he opposes them in two ways. Number one, he talks us out of believing in them through the... theology of secessionism the gifts aren't for today they died out uh, once the scripture was canonized and completed and and now we have we have wonderful stories of things God used to do we don't need nobody needs healing today come on we have doctors really so how come four of my friends are dying of cancer really we don't need that anymore How come a book about stories, about healing, is more important than healing? Why how do we take comfort in, in, in a story in the fact that it used to happen, but it's not happening today, and that's a good thing? He'll do anything he can to talk us out of believing in the power of God. Number two, he talks us into not risking for them. We mustn't get carried away. You ever heard that? We mustn't get carried away. Wouldn't want to get carried away. Mustn't get carried away. You know, it's easy to get emotional. It's probably just psychological. No, we wouldn't want to get carried away, unless we're at a football game, Tammy. Tammy. Unless we're watching football, we're watching football. We should get carried away.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> what she says. <laughs> get this. You know that phrase in the Holy Spirit. In. Do you know the key words in? I looked it up. It has three different meanings. Here's the coolest thing about the word in. In the the way it's used in the New Testament. In is a term about union with. In Christ. He is in, in us and we are in him. It's a state of union. But it's also used in the context of accomplishing something. It could be, you could use the word by. By the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. It also refers... In several places, to the in the Holy Spirit being a literal altered state. It actually, the definition actually used the word altered state. A state of being that was different from the one you were in before you became in the Holy Spirit. It's a legitimate altered state of being. You know, like LSD, only good. Really, you can be in an altered state which was made possible by your union with the Holy Spirit. It could not happen without him. He made it possible. He he enabled it to be in the Holy Spirit. You put all the definitions together, and it's something like this. You were in one state of being, spiritually, and then he acted in you and through you, and you came to another state of being. Guess what? You got carried away. He came along and he took you from one place and he brought you to another place which is only possible through union with him. But it's different. It is qualitatively different than the state you were in before. Worship in the Holy Spirit. On the island of Patmos, in the Holy Spirit, having visions. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, said this. Folks, we're supposed to get carried away as long as he's the one doing the carrying. And it's not just emotionalism if he's moving us to a place that's more closer to him, more aware of him, in, 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 in the tangible experience of, of his presence within you and using you, and you're going to do something not humanly possible because he's going to do it through you, and you're what they call in the Holy Spirit. You just got carried away. Is it worth looking a little bit foolish to be in that place? Is it OK if it involves tears to be in that place? That same night that my friend got free, my, my other friend's wife, this is up in Canada, but she was from Pennsylvania. She was kind of a bit of a southern belle. She always looked perfect. Her hair was always perfect. She was very beautiful, and her clothes were always perfect. She just always looked perfect. She never left the house unless her face and makeup was perfect. You all know, right? OK, so it was her first night in the Holy Spirit, too. And she got prayed for on the stage. They called her up. They always, they always pick the southern bells, you know? Maybe these guys praying in the power, they just want to show how God can undo a person. Man, he undid Debbie like you've never seen before. I mean, she got up there and the Holy Spirit came on her and she cried and she fell down and and she giggled and laughed and she completely came apart. And at the end of the evening, she couldn't walk properly. She was still a little bit in the Holy Spirit. So two guys... I'm busy with my friend. We're praying. Me and the drug addict, ex drug addict friend, are praying for people all over the place. And I lost track of her. And two guys are carrying her because she can't walk properly, carrying her up the aisle. And they're just coming out the doors into the foyer. And I see her. Her makeup is streaked from here to here. Her hair is sideways, it's sticking out all over the place. Her blouse is pulled out and it's kind of over here. There's a couple of buttons that are blown open and she's giggling and she can't stop laughing and she's just and she's out of control and that she's never been out of control in her life. She's perfect. She's not perfect anymore, people. She's carried away. Literally, two guys are having to carry her to her car cuz she can't walk properly. And I see her and I'm like I've never seen Debbie like this before in my life. I'm going to tell you what she said. Oh. Probably shouldn't my last trip
2: here (laughs) but I'm so
1: tempted to tell you what she said I said Debbie what's happened to you and she just starts giggling and I said Debbie what's going on and she's just giggling and she said she's laughing she's tittering and she said I can't I can't say it I can't tell you I said what what are you talking about she said how I feel I can't tell you how I feel and I said how do you feel What's going on? And she just started giggling, and she said, it's just like an orgasm. (laughs) I was completely shocked. This word is coming out of Debbie's mouth, Little Miss Prissy Perfect. Folks, she was undone. She was undone by the love of God. And it changed her. She was so uptight. Before this experience, she was so caught in perfectionism and being perfect in every way. That, that that thing died that night. She was different. She was free. She was happy, full of joy. That's the most embarrassing moment of her life. It's also the best moment of her life. What's wrong with looking foolish, if you're looking foolish for God, how about that, huh? Mm-hmm. Taking risks. R R-I-S-K. I S K. had this friend. Well, he came to our church. He was a good evangelical. And um, he had a business and a bunch of people worked for his business. And one of them came to our church with a cousin. And she was... Uh, instantly healed of a foot infection she'd had for six months so she went back to the office and she told her boss I went to this weird church where they prayed for people and they the pastor got up and said there's somebody here with a infection in your right foot and it was me and they prayed for me and it was instantly healed she told her boss this and her boss said where did you go he was a Christian, you what church to go to? And she said, he goes, we am you were going next Sunday. I want to see this. So I didn't know. He shows up and he's sitting right over there. And in end of worship, it's like ministry time. And I had a prophetic word for him. So I went over and I said, Excuse me, but I think I have a word from the Lord for you. I don't know, but I think so. Can I give it? He said, Yeah. So I gave it and it rocked his world. And he said, How did you do that? What's going on? How did you do that? I said, Well, God, he communicates to us for people. And maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. But, you know, we try it and we find out. And I said, that's what I thought he said to you. He said, how did you do that? I said, well, I can sort of teach you how to do it. He goes, how did you do the healing thing? What's with the healing thing with her foot? How did, what happened? I said, well, that's a spiritual gift. That's the Holy Spirit. And you can learn how to do that. He said, no, you can't. I said, yeah, yeah, you can, you can He said, how? I said, I'm going to Guadalajara next month you come with me, and by the end of the week, you'll be prophesying over total strangers. And he goes, and that's impossible. I said, well, tell you what. You come with me, and if, if by the end of the week, you're not prophesying accurately over total strangers, I'll pay for your whole trip. And he goes, okay. <laughs> See, he's, not, he's no fool. He's getting a vacation, and it's paid for if he fails. It's about uh, four nights into the trip, and we're in Leon, and he has, and I'm, we got this meeting of Mexican pastors the next morning. I've done a lot of ministry in Mexico. The one thing about Mexican pastors, machismo. They are not going to show weakness under any circumstances, and sure as heck, they will never cry in public. So Chris has this dream, the night before, and it's about a high school coach and being on a track team and how the coach was treating his players and stuff and and. Uh, It was really poignant, and it was really meaningful. And I said, Chris, you're going to share that dream at the pastor's meeting tomorrow, and I'll interpret it for you. And um, he goes, no, I can't do that. I said, yeah, you're going to do that. So I got him up, dragged him up, and he gave the dream, and then I gave the interpretation. Over 20 pastors, and this is out of a group of about 40 or 50, at least 20 pastors came up to the front for ministry about the Father Heart of God, broken relationships with their father. They were weeping. They were undone, and by the end of the week, he was going for it every place we went. Then he came home and he went nuts, and he said, "I want to know everything you know about physical healing, and you got to start telling me." So I said, "All right, you come on another ministry trip down in Mexico. We're going down to uh, down the Baja. You come with me." He said, "I'm coming." He he's pumped. He squeezed me like a like a lemon. <clears throat> Every M, one question after another, hours in the car. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And we just went through everything I knew about healing in in about four or five days. But I was thrilled to be with someone that wanted it that bad. It's like, keep it coming. As long as I'm breathing, we're going to do this exercise. He came home, and this is what he did. He decided that he was going to do this healing thing full time. I mean, he's got a job and everything, but he's going to go out and pray for everybody he can find. So on weekends, they go to Target stores, and they go to malls. He takes two more of his evangelical friends who think he's crazy, because he is kind of crazy. I mean, he's an extremist. He's, an, he's one of those exports guys. He's like the Christian export healing kind of guy. He'll jump off buildings to see somebody healed. So they go to Target, and they walk around, and they look for sick people. So he finds this kid, He's kid's about 19 or 20, and he's got a cast from here to here. He can just move his fingers. He's got a broken wrist. And Chris goes up to him and says, uh, do you believe in God? The kid says, no. Chris says, uh, would you believe in God if God healed your wrist? And he says, I don't know, maybe. He says, I want to pray for your wrist for healing right now. And the kid says, what are you going to do? He says, I'm just going to touch it, and I'm going to ask God to heal your wrist. He says, Okay. So Chris lays hands on his wrist and starts to pray. Chris says, anything happening? Kid says, no. Chris says, "Uh, move your fingers. Guy says, I can't. They're like this. It's just I can't. And Chris says, OK. So he starts to pray for the fingers, and he prays for the wrist. All of a sudden, the kid's hand starts going like this. And the kid goes, and I can't repeat it in church, what the is going on? What the are you doing? What the is this? And Chris goes, well, that's just the power of God. He loves you. The kid's wrist starts moving like this. Full full motion restored. The pain is completely gone. The kid says, you know, what's going on? And Chris says, God loves you. Do you want to accept him as your savior now? Do you want to know God? Yes. So he leads him to the Lord. And this is a big win. And they're all like this. But no, Chris has to take it a little further. This is where it starts to get stupid. He decides, since we're in San Diego, there's got to be a lot of sick people in Tijuana. So he's going to go down on Friday and Saturday nights by himself in the dark, and he's going to walk the streets of Tijuana to find sick people to pray for. But he's no dummy. He doesn't speak good Spanish. So he says, i got to find a bilingual Mexican who speaks English who's sick and once I get him healed I got an interpreter who can come and help me do everybody else literally seriously this is this is his mind so he goes down there and he does it and he and he gets some guy who speaks English he gets him healed and then they go looking for crippled people and stuff to pray for more people and he's coming back with these stories of these healings that are taking place on the streets of Tijuana so I said Chris this is too good you got, you got a smartphone. you got to start taking videos of all the healings that you're seeing and talk about it as you're doing it because we need some good proof here, you know? Like, you should do this. So he says, fine, so he does. Here's the stats. Over a period of 2.5 years, Chris saw approximately 125 physical healings. He led... 55 people to the Lord. He calculated his success rate for physical healings at 60%. During that time, he saw hepatitis C healed as well as cancer and cerebral palsy. The lady with the hep C was in San Diego. When she got her medical report back, showing that she was completely clear of the virus and she wasn't taking any interferon or any other drugs, I said, Chris, you got to get her to come to our church. She came to our church. She brought the medical reports before and after. I read both the medical reports before and after the prayer, and the one after inexplicably found her completely rid of the hep C virus in her blood. There is no other explanation for it. She was absolutely miraculously healed. Okay, this, I shouldn't tell you this because. You'll just realize how extreme Chris is. But he came to me one day, and he said, I want to see a dead person raised. I said, this is very difficult, Chris. We don't have access to a lot of dead people. I said, in our culture, it's very hard to get access to dead people. It's not easy. So I don't think you're going to see it. He put an ad in Craigslist. (laughs) I am a Christian and want to pray for the dead. If anyone in your family or a friend is dead, please call me so I can come and pray for them. Do you know how many responses he got? Zero. Right? So he decided, I'll take it up a notch. So he started going to mortuaries. He started going to funeral homes, talking to morticians. Could I please come in and pray for a dead person? And they said, that's against the law. You can't do that. But if anyone asks for it, we'll call you. (laughs) Uh, Look, we don't have to be as crazy as him, okay? But if we'll take some risks, just simple risks, and they're as simple as someone's coughing their brains out, and you say, can I pray for you? That's a nasty cough. Where you see someone is limping and you say, it hurts me to see you limping. I know this is unusual. I don't do this very often. But I'm a Christian. And God heals people sometimes. I would love to pray for you. May I pray for you? Yes, it's a bit awkward. And you know what? I've done it a lot. And um, only a few people have said no. The vast Over 90% of them say yes, please. And a couple of them go, yeah, 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 please. And I go, okay, right now. And they go, right now? (laughs) And I say, yeah, let's do it right now. And they go, you can pray for me when you're at home. And I say, yeah, but it's better if we do it right now. Some people say, no, do it later. Very few say no. Most of them say yes. May I touch you? May I put my hand on your shoulder? Yes or no? You just do what they say. And then you pray the simplest little healing prayer you got. And you ask them, do you feel anything? Is it any different for you? What's going on? Maybe you establish a baseline, what their flexibility is, what their range of motion, what the level of pain is. And you see if God does something. And if he does, you continue. And if he doesn't, you say, God loves you. You took a risk. You tried. And as we try, we grow. We see God be supernatural through us. And then we're not settling anymore. We're coming awake. Amen. We're starting to stand up. Amen. We're starting to walk again. It's so exciting. Why not risk? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about your church. I'm going to talk. talked a lot with uh, Joel and Donnell about this. You're going through this time of change. It's a time of change. Only a small percentage of people like change. Me, I hate it. I just hate change. It threatens me, something fierce. You're going through change, my friends, whether you like it or not. This church, to thrive, is going to be a church that reaches out to people. And some of the biggest risks you're going to take aren't supernatural risks at all. They're this. Would you like to come to my church and try it? I got this group at home where we meet and we talk about God and we talk about life issues and stuff. Would you like to come to my group? And you know what? Most of them are going to say no. But the studies indicate 10% say yes. So every 10th person is probably going to come with you to church or to your group. So you're going to look stupid 90% of the time. Do the math. You're going to look like a bonehead. A religious fanatic, one of those vineyard people. Wouldn't it be great to have a reputation of being one of those vineyard people that invites everybody to church and believes in miracles? Man, I would like that on my resume. He was a fool, as John Wimber would say, but he was a fool for Christ. So you guys are the key to the future for the church. Your biggest risk is simply going to be loving people and reaching out. It doesn't have to be whacked out. It can be the casserole when they need it. It can be the, the word of encouragement when they need it. It can be listening to their marital pain when they need it. It doesn't really matter, but it is taking a risk. It's stepping out of your comfort zone. About this far beyond the outer limits of your comfort zone is where you're going to see God work. That's where you're going to see him work. So can you be committed to taking a risk? Can you say, I- I'm going to be one of those risk takers. I'm going to do some skydiving. I'm going to learn how to do this. It's going to look great on your record when you get to heaven. It's going to look really good on your resume. You'll even get rewarded. Okay? Tonight, oh yeah, here. Yeah, please. Come on up, Muffin. Um, let's see if we can get one of these. The song. Hi, I'm
2: Shel. I am so happy to be with y'all. I'm to go up. You want me to go to heaven? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hi, y'all. I am so glad to be here. Texas is such... In my heart, you guys have always greeted us and treated us so well, and I'm so glad to see you all here today. And Of course, Billard and Diane, very special people. I um, had a vision while we were in worship. I I looked over at who was here, and I saw Georgia. And, Georgia, I saw you bend down and sort of um, take a child's face in your hands, and you just looked really lovingly, and then you helped this child up. And then I heard the Lord said, "That's you um, And so I feel when we take risks and we help someone else, the Lord does something deep inside us and many people say, well i'm you know I haven't really got my act together, I don't have experience I'm young, I'm old, I'm sick, I'm tall, I don't know what comes up but what really is is this excitement that uh, he does it through you, what Mark was talking about in the Holy Spirit is close personal association by which the joining together creates something that wasn't there before, so I really get excited um, it sounds threatening in a way to say, "Go take a risk, but in another way it's the Best invitation because stuff inside you happens that you don't even know you need you don't even know it's there you don't know what you don't know <laughs> so so and I just so I just wanted to bless and I wanted to bless you Georgia and whatever that looks like and I just wanted to say a minute um, Mark's got a couple books um, that he's written and you know we're not up here selling because we, we need the money we just cover our costs. But this book was his first book, and it's really his testimony of um, how he came to know the Lord in, in a much deeper way. And this message of grace is really what um, saved me in my life. I came to know the Lord at 18. I was so thankful that God rescued me out of a life of, of drugs and alcohol. I was so thankful, and I just started to work for God. And I worked as hard as I could. I went to Bible college, did missions, gave all my money, did everything. But I didn't learn the, the gospel of grace for the first 10 years. I was trying to thank God with my actions, and I burnt out. And I settled, and I fell away until I heard the power of grace. This is a phenomenally encouraging book. Non-Christians really like this
1: book. Yeah, they do.
2: And uh, then the second one, oh, I made him write this book. <laughs> she did. I did. Because I, I just said, everybody you teach this message to, their lives are changed. No, 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 no. Yes, they are. Look at me. <laughs> yes, write this book. It took me 10 years to get him to write that book.
1: You know what she said? She tricked me. Because it was on tape, right? This, this called Relationship, Not Religion series. And she was hammering away uh, to write this book, and I just kept dodging it. And finally, she said, uh, If I take your relationship, not religion tapes, and there was a lot of them, and I transcribe them into a Word document, will you turn it into a book? And I figured she'll never, that's too much work. She won't do that. It'll take her months. So I said, Sure. A couple months later,
0: (coughs)
2: boom,
1: this manuscript like this. And I thought, oh no. And it was way harder than I thought it would be. But it came out, and I really like that book. It's,
2: it's a very powerful life changer. And then the second book is a lot of what he talked about today. And it's not just the stories, he shares some really good stories in here, but it's really practical. It's really a how to get started. It's a great discussion for groups because there's, you know, I also make him write discussion questions, questions after each. Chat. Anyway, I make him do a lot of things, and so we're <laughs> up here, and I'm going to make him pray for anybody that wants to uh, to uh, have prayer, and and I'm going to re- pray for y- y'all too. But I just life is just too short to settle, and the more we just stoop down and and touch somebody with love, we end up getting stronger inside and getting healed inside. So there's no reason not to take a... I don't know how to speak properly. English. There's... Go for it.
1: Well, yeah, you know, this is great because Shelley's just decided what God's going to do for a ministry time. So uh, I know when I've heard the voice of God, it comes through my wife. <laughs> so anybody who was stirred in some way by this message where the Lord kind of tweaked you and spoke and said, yeah, you need to to start taking some risks. But you'd like some extra courage, and you'd like a little bit of help from the Holy Spirit to, to take some risks. If you want to come forward now, we would love to lay hands on you and pray for an impartation of just that boldness. Remember the Acts passage? They spoke boldly. That was a Holy Spirit phenomena. That wasn't just them mustering up their humanity. That was the Holy Spirit giving them something. And we can expect and ask for that kind of boldness. But I'm telling you this. This is a promise. If you come up and ask for this, within the next two days, for some of you, by the end of the day, for others, two, three days, you are going to get an opportunity to do it. And when it happens, you'll recognize it, and your heart will start pounding. You'll think, oh, I shouldn't have gone forward on Sunday. This is the thing he's talking about. Oh, God, what am I going to do? And then your heart beats, and then the strength and the power. You remember, hey, they prayed. I got prayed for for this. I got what I needed to do this. Now I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to try it. And yeah, you'll break out in a sweat, and your voice will shake, and you'll think, what am I doing? But when you're finished, whether they say yes or they say no, you have obeyed, and you have risked, and you you you're the muscle of risk and obedience is stronger now than it was before you did it, and you do that a few times, and pretty soon the fear goes away, and it's like, I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life. So <laughs> with that product warning from the <laughs> surgeon, surgeon, the spiritual surgeon general, um, after that warning, if you want to be encouraged in this risk-taking, why don't you come up now, and we'll, we'll lay hands on you and pray for you.